0: The million-dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million-dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Guys, it's your host, Chris Waters. Welcome to CEO Secrets. I have a really special guest on today, Scott Durkin, the uh, president and COO of Douglas Elliman, Uh, one of probably the most recognizable brands in the real estate industry across the United States. Scott, welcome to CEO Secrets. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. Well, let's get right into it. What did your your career trajectory path look like to get into a leadership role at, I mean, probably one of the most well-known brands in the luxury real estate market? Well, it's
1: interesting. I, I had a career... Smaller career at Four Seasons Hotels and a lot of people in real estate come from hospitality. So it was, it was a nice uh, Segue from there. Um, I got really lucky. I, I got my license in 1990 and uh, Soon after that I, I Almost bumped into Barbara Corcoran and uh, she pulled me under her wing for 26 years. So I had the best training as one could imagine and uh, she actually shared her office with me and we had an amazing run. And then uh, in 2016, I uh, was recruited by Douglas Elliman by Dottie Dottie Herman and Howard Lorber and I came to the firm then. And um, so I had a great ground training from one of the best in the world,
0: Barbara. that's pretty amazing. So what, what was your role with Barbara? Were you an agent or in a leadership at or administrative leader? Right, at first I was an agent and then um,
1: uh, went into, uh, I was relocation director. Then I helped in uh, um, PR advertising. Then I became uh, business development. And then by the end, and when we prepared the company to be sold to Realogy, which was then Sendant, I was the COO of Corcoran. And then I stayed on there and helped open the Florida division, the Hamptons division, as well as the Brooklyn division. And then um, came back to New York and was head of one of our downtown divisions in the Flatiron. And then I left and came to Elliman when they recruited me. So I've had lots of sales. I've been an agent. I've been in the shoes of an agent. I know what the feeling is like. I know what kind of life it is. So it really helps. Um it's probably the best part of my thirty year career is is my eight years as an agent to start
0: out i'm I'm taking notes because I have so many follow up questions for you sure um, so first off, uh, speaking of uh, Barbara, something I have to ask you is I heard Barbara uh, do a keynote at an ev- at an event, and she told this story about how you know one of her differentiators with the brokerage was the culture within the organization and she t- she she told this story i guess it must have been 20 plus years ago where you know she hosted a, a an event for her agents which apparently she did regularly is that accurate yeah most regularly yeah so she hosted this event and and she shared uh the story about how she told everybody to like dress to the nines Wear their fanciest jewelry and get completely decked out. And she had everybody uh, get board a bus, and she told the bus driver in advance to to act like the bus broke down at one of the most dangerous parts of New York yeah. at the time. And and she filled the um, the storage compartments of the bus with liquor. Yes, it was and, called the Salsa Bus. Oh my god! So. I'm, you know, I obviously, you know, in, in real estate, the only advantage I think any organization has is its people. And so, you know, I, that my key takeaway from that uh, story she told was she, a little other tidbit she shared was that um, two brokers she had that worked for her, two salespeople, like really hated each other. They were fierce competitors. And um, when, when the bus, you know, the bus driver acted like the bus, you know, uh, had, you know, broke broken up. down, um, you know, they heard, they heard gunshots and everybody was freaking out and panicking. And so these two hyper uh, competitive uh, brokers within the Corcoran Group. You know they shared in on this this same experience and this feeling that they got of being you know fearful of what the heck's going to happen to them in this in one of the worst parts of town
1: yes and, it and was they, true
0: and they ended up becoming great friends um after this experience on a bus yeah so, what you don't
1: know though the bus was a, a um it was a, by t- when the bus arrived it, it was a school bus that had been retired and turned into the salsa bus and, it ha- and the, the roof was open too. You could go out, it was like a double-decker. And um, Barbara decided, and mind you, this is 25 years ago. It's much different. It, it, it was a much different neighborhood. She went right up to Harlem and was crossing 125th Street and uh, giving the agents a, a tour of Harlem at the same time having a party. And um, it was a, it's a different time then. And uh, she took a lot of bold steps but it also brought our agents much closer to each other. And, and like you said, it's all about the culture. Uh, people love to be loved and they love to be somewhere where people stay a long time and that they're, they're given all of these tools and they're treated well. And um, the culture really, I think is the glue that holds a company together.
0: I, I've met Barbara m- multiple times and I did a uh, endorsement deal with Barbara on TV about six years ago. Uh-huh. And um, she called me a, a preacher choir boy in front of 60 people. And my, my, face, my face turned, you know, like deep red, like, because there's cameras everywhere. You know, we're about to, like, record this commercial, and there's, like, you know, 60-plus people in there. Um, she knows how to kept, get your attention and, and be memorable. So one of my questions about you working with Barbara, I mean, 26 years, that's a that's a, a great deal of time, and I'm sure you picked up a lot of learning lessons along the way. Sure. But, you know, besides the culture piece, you know, what are some of the other things you... Picked up on to be a great leader within Douglas Elliman from Barbara. Like, what were those key takeaways to be a great leader? Um, you know, yeah. from, your, from your days with Barbara. I think one of the um, one of the
1: best traits that I was able to pick up from her uh, is to be fearless and also to treat people uh, with. Kindness and I know it sounds trite and some people always I love that expression. She would always use it Don't mistake my kindness as a weakness and I think that for me I she included everyone Every person that was that the company was as important as the, the next one Whether you were the top agent or whether you were just starting out. So I think um, she had she was from a, a family of 12 children Siblings, so she had to learn to share a lot, so she shared a lot. She also listened a lot, and Barbara was famous for not putting someone in a position that they were set up to fail. She would o- always tell you you know you you're going to stink at that. I see you doing this. She had a wonderful eye into the future for for someone, and she'd pick up that personality trait from them and tell them exactly what she thought. Um, her mother was the same way too her mother was brutally honest. But Barbara was brutally honest with. Uh, if you ever got fired by her, you ended up with a promotion and and being transferred out of the de, de, the department. She was really great at at sizing you up and what your strengths were, and she wouldn't use you for something that you weren't strong at. So that allowed her to have such a diverse uh, family of agents that they were they were it was guaranteed that they would get along. I mean, people would stay there for years. One of the uh, men that was there for 45 years just passed away recently and he was in his mid eighties. Wow. Yeah.
0: Let me ask you something. So the, the brokerage space is highly competitive. There's been an immense amount of pressure on uh, commission splits with agents. The culture component is great, but is it strong enough to overcome these crazy splits and things companies are offering right now? Like compass, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, what, Well, what's your I think, take, like, how do you overcome that um, commission split uh, objection with agents?
1: Well, agents are business people, and I think the smarter the agent, the smarter the business person they are. If you're going based, if you're leaving your company based solely on the commission split, usually you're giving something up because if that's what's turning you on, that's obviously something that goes right into your pocket. But you have to look at the firm you're going to it could be you're going to have six to nine months of people not knowing which firm you're in so you're going to have somewhat of a loss of business and and then you have to start over and the culture is is markedly different in the other firm and, and if you've been there for a long long time you'll feel it more than anyone i've had several people go to other firms and come back and said you know it just didn't have what element had it didn't have the leadership didn't have the managers a lot of these startups are forgetting about the glue, again, I use that word glue, that keeps the companies together, the management, the senior leadership, the offerings. Um, we we offer more at Douglas Elliman than any other firm in the country. Uh, our owners put money back into the company. When you jump ship for a higher split, you have to realize that split that the company's not getting will come to bite you in the butt later on when you ask for something and they don't have the money to give it to you. Because you're, you're getting most of the money and they don't have any profits and their bottom line is suffering because of your high split. So the, it's a real sort of tug of war there. And If you're going just based on money, do the math. Because most of the time, if you've got a two or three year commitment at a higher split, you can, you can pretty much say you really only have a year because your restart is going to be costly. And um, it always happens, no matter how big or successful you are. So a split to me is, I, I always say to someone, well, our brand is so much bigger, one more deal will make up for that split loss. If you're so, um, you're so sold on be having a higher split, and some people wear that as a badge of honor or a badge of, of, of uh, a competition badge. Uh, but you, know, you, can't, you can't go around just wanting a, a high commission because n- you probably won't fit into the culture anyway that you're leaving. You probably never did fit in.
0: Uh, let me ask you something about um, differences between Corcoran Group and Douglas Elliman. What what are the key things you've, you, know, you, you have learned um, since becoming the president of Douglas Elliman that you know, differentiate the two companies?
1: Well, I think when I first started at Corcoran, it's very much like Douglas Elliman now, where you have the ownership or the leadership and the ownership, even though we're under a public company, we still feel like we're run by the original owners. That's how it was with the Corcoran Group before they sold to Realogy. When you end up selling to a, a national company that has seven brands under its umbrellas and you're hugely profitable, you will ride that out and probably at the end, and I was at my end and it was a good ending, but I just realized that the culture had changed so dramatically because they pull out all the profits. and You know, what made you special as a company no longer makes you special because you no longer offer it. And, uh, you know, most of the agents walk around saying, oh, I remember this, I remember that, I miss this, I miss that. You know, you can't live in the past, but then again, you shouldn't come in and rip out the culture because you want to make another 100 or $200,000 a year in the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So I think Element is so much like Corcoran was in the 90s for me and that's why I love it so much because it's it's very entrepreneurial, and everyone's treated that way. There's not a one size fits all, and that's what you have to realize when you run a big real estate company. Um, you have the biggest um, personalities in the world. I mean, high earning salespeople are are really tough to manage, but you have to that's what, you have to want to manage them and want to deliver them uh, a great experience and a great company. So for me say corcoran was black and white and then when i got to element it was color it was technicolor almost so it was what, great it was a great chapter too
0: what do you feel like you know speaking of of recruiting and managing highly productive salespeople, what what are what are the the secrets to recruiting and and more importantly managing and retaining highly productive salespeople that have very high expectations of the company they work for?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, it's, it's all about them and it always will be. And that's what you have to accept. I've talked to a lot of people that manage and they get beat up by the agents and it's really hard sometimes. And I, I've been there where you just, you, you run the hundred yard dash for them and then they're like, well, what about this? Or, or what about my neighbor? You know, great agents watch other agents, but you have to treat the really top agent or the biggest salesperson or the greatest salesperson, with in a way that they're used to dealing with just themselves. I mean, they they love to be told how good they are, and they should because they're great, and they often uh, contribute to a lot of um, of the bottom line and to the culture, and more importantly to the market share. So I think. You just have to give them your attention, and you can't you can't be distracted with. Whenever I meet with an agent, whether it's on a phone or lately on a Zoom or at a lunch or a breakfast, I don't you know I put my phone away. I don't take a call. I don't care who it is. Maybe if it's our chairman, I'll take it. But for the most part, I'm all theirs, and you can't compare a top agent to another top agent. Uh, it's all you just have to concentrate on who they are and what they need to grow their business more. And um, those kind of agents also feel, even though they may not own any of the company, they all have a sense of ownership with the brand, and you have to remember that. and you can't you can't treat them as an outsider. They, they have a seat at the table because they've helped pay for the table, and you can't forget that. And you have to anticipate their needs. And that's what I love that I've was an agent first. So I know what their needs are, and I can help anticipate instead of react. Uh, but you know, it's very demanding. But you have to allot enough time, and you can never let them feel like you have something else that's more pressing. And it's not something I fake. It's just something that's how I plan. I would deal with someone like that because they deserve the time and they deserve the attention. How do you? A lie? lot of companies say, "Oh, they're a pain in the butt." You know, they have a high split, and they're my number one agent, but. I, I you know I I don't deal with them well. That's you can't do that.
0: How do you you know sometimes like call it mediocre agent if you will? Um, they see the special treatment the top producers getting that can sometimes create a clash from a culture perspective. How do you how do you you know deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always tell agents and and people and if I if I coach someone, you know, t- instead of keeping score. Figure out how you can get into that league. You know, turn that into something positive. Why, why? Why am I upset that they have something that I don't? Well, they might have produced more, like you're, you're like you're saying. It's 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 going. It's bound to happen. What What are you not doing that will, is keeping you away from the top with that person or or that benefit? And let's peel that onion back, as opposed to concentrating on on that particular agent and what they're getting. Cause it's, it's available to everyone and it's not as if they didn't work for it. So you have to say, if you wanna be like so-and-so, this is how they work, this is what they do and this is how they do it. And let's let's start that trajectory or that path and, and get it done for you and, and see what we can do. But it's not like we just handed it to them because they were there with their handout, they earned it. A lot lots of times, a lot of coaches or managers in their own firms are hard, they have a hard time telling an agent that that's what they need to do instead of commiserating. And it is hard sometimes, it's a very lonely life. I mean, it's, it's just like being on stage every night and then you come home and you're like, oh, I'm all wired up, but I, I showed 40 apartments today. I don't have a deal. And, and then you see all of the other people and the television shows that have made it look so glamorous and so lucrative, um,
0: it, it can really wear on you. Is what, what's his name? The guy that's on Million Dollar Listing, Frederick? Is Frederick, he still I with Douglas Elliman?
1: Yeah. He's the yes. Frederick is one of our cornerstones of the foundation of Elliman. He he and John Gomes from the Eklund the the Eklund Gomes team. Yes, they have about 85 on their team right now, wow. and they're in every one of our markets. So they're smart. They've they've branched out in every one of our major markets, and um, so they service every client that they need they need to they have no no issues oh let me make a call no it's right within their their house so um, they've been phenomenal the television show has helped build their business and put them on the map they've earned every accolade every dollar uh, they're one of the hardest working teams I've ever seen in 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 the industry of my 30 years
0: what's they're what? Are,
1: they're nice people
0: What is uh, Douglas Element offering to agents from like a technology stack perspective? Like what are the tools that they're giving to agents to um, be successful?
1: Well, we have um, an in-house internet called Douglas, which houses our, we have our own app store, which has a myriad of real estate software offerings, as well as CRMs and home uh, technology pieces of of staging and, and, and decorating and architectural. Uh, we have, I think we have about 49 different programs you can use. Uh, we have proprietary software for some of our regions because Manhattan and Brooklyn are not on an MLS, so we're able to offer them a proprietary uh, software there. Uh, we have in-house public relations, in-house design, on the
0: software side, are these um, software applications that Douglas Elliman paid developers to build or are these third party software applications that you guys have um, signed agreements with and then give to the
1: agents? 75% of them are third party and 25% of them are designed for us specifically.
0: So like the internet system, for example, with the internal MLS for Manhattan, is that a Douglas Elliman owned deal, I'd assume?
1: Yes. we we call it the RLS, which is is similar to an MLS, but it's not. Uh, But yes, we have, that's proprietary. uh, And we share that with a couple of other firms in the city. Uh, We're partners with them. Because Um, we don't have an MLS in, in the five boroughs
0: for us. How do you see the industry changing over the next five to 10 years, specifically in markets like Manhattan, where there's not an MLS, And there are brokers like Douglas Elliman that have developed an internet system with all the listings and they're web scraping all the listings from all these different um, tax record data uh, places and whatnot. And then pushing it to street easy, right? To like create transparency for the consumer. Like what kind of impact do you think that'll have in the years to come as these technology companies have more of the data how will that affect the the real estate market in in Manhattan?
1: Well, I think for us, um, our average sale price in Manhattan and Brooklyn is about a million two. So the, the thought that that would be sort of an electronic, or for lack of a better word, an electronic transaction, where you you know you go to the door and you you show your fingerprint or whatever your or it's clear or clear or something and you get access you can't, you can't have it. it can't happen in, in, in the city. It's just, there's too many, there are too many factors. The the building itself won't allow it. There are doorman, there are co-op rules, there are condo rules, there's crime. Um, you know, you have every everything that's working against these prop tech companies where they think that they can take the place of the agent. So for us, um, we're very aware of, of this in terms of that they're out there and, and we love to, see what they have to offer. But many times they're, I'd say 80% of them are in for a quick dollar and they don't really know our industry. They don't really know that the basis of everything we do is based on relationships. And I think that's been forgotten. And uh, so many times they just come into town and they're, they're out in a few 18 months realizing that, oh, this is not going to work here. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't I mean this is, this, these are big numbers we're dealing with. This is not something you can drive up to and input a a code to get information on a home. Uh, you have to go through the agent. I think prop the prop tech companies have helped us work stronger in terms of, uh, especially in the pandemic. We've we use things now. We all, I mean, you probably know this. We thought the virtual tour was in the garbage. We threw that program away years ago because no one would click on a video for a virtual tour now it's the forefront of all of our listings now because of covid and people are not going into the homes they don't want to go into the homes seller doesn't want them in there and the buyer is reluctant so the virtual tour now is is the the media piece that will get most of the eyeballs and so we are taking complete advantage of that that's the best way to sell the home right now and um, so I think they're not here to, to make us go away. They're here to enhance how we do business and how we communicate. But ultimately, it's a relationship piece that uh, you need to have that. You need to be face to face or let me you know. throw,
0: let me throw a, a hypothesis at you. Sure. So let's say all of the all of the data coming soon listing, stuff off market that somebody would sell all of that's readily available, is it possible for a brokerage that is more lead generation driven versus referral based to, to be wildly successful because they're able to, for example, buy, buy leads because the data is pu- you know, publicly available to consumers and those companies that are you know, distributing those listings for consumers to see, that's how, you know, that's how a lot of them make money. So do you you think that could be a a sustainable business model, even in a luxury market, where it is typically referral driven, but...
1: No, I don't think, I mean, I think it works in a lot of markets, without question. Um, I don't think it works in the luxury market for many, a couple of reasons. Number one, it takes moments for a luxury owner to know what's going on. And everyone, so if they got a lead generation, somehow they were someone called them that they didn't know everyone that has a luxury property has an agent they know an agent they know someone so they're they're most likely going to go with them they have a relationship they socialize with them most of the high-end agents socialize with their clients and it's a and it's really 90 percent referral for a lot of them they don't do cold calling and There's some that do it, some that are just transactional based at the luxury end. But I would say for the most part, as I go back again to the relationship thing, it's all referral. Um, Blind sort of leads like that, or or people uh, being fed leads, uh, that doesn't work in in our markets, it never has. Um, And it does, I mean, we have a certain percentage of it without question because when you have an inventory shortage that's when the consumer tends to stray thinking they're missing something and they'll they'll engage with someone else, but they'll usually come back to home base with their original agent. But um, it can sort of uh, confuse the, the consumer as well because they don't really know, uh, especially on the buy side if who this agent is and is this agent really attached to the listing that I'm interested in? Because a lot of that's happening where the agent that's on the front face of the listing search is not really the exclusive agent that works with the owner. And that's unfortunate. And that's very confusing to the consumer.
0: Oh, I want to uh, switch gears for a minute and, and go back to Realogy. Do you, like, what, what's your overall opinion of, like, what the future is going to look like for a company like Realogy? Their their stock price has been getting hammered on, on Wall Street. Um, I mean they they still control a ton of transactions and you know uh, they've got some great brands underneath them but um like what do you think the future holds for a company like real do you think they'll be able to pull it out and turn things around or do you see it being sold off in in parts to somebody else
1: it's a good question um i mean i have an affinity to them for Having been there for so long, and I still know a lot of people there, um, and they were always good to me. Um, but I think, I think many times, big companies, especially franchises, they get lost in the, and this is what I think happened to them. They, they have a lot of money to spend, and they spend it on things that really don't make sense. That end up becoming technology pieces, or um, uh, you know, things that don't touch the, the consumer that, or the agent that are just in the background that no one really cares about. I remember that was really frustrating when I worked there. It's like, you know, we don't need a, we don't need this sort of deal update on what's going on and with the mortgage broker and, and the title company. It was just sort of it didn't make any sense. I think they've turned around and they've realized that the luxury agent is really important to their brands Uh, especially with Sotheby's and, and Corcoran and, and Caldwell Banker previews. And they've sort of, they're awakened and uh, they're, they're coming back to the, the, to the table. I hope it's not too late, but I think they'll be okay. I just think some of the brands won't be around anymore. It's just pointless. And, and, and it's hard collecting franchise fees in some areas when the market goes down and, you know, um, the business might suffer. And also they let their brands compete with each other, which is interesting. Um, so they think they'll get a piece of something by one or the other brand uh, or three brands in some markets.
0: If you had to take a guess or had a crystal ball, which of the brands do you think fails in the years to come?
1: Well, I'll just say brands that aren't relationship based I think the brands that are out there pushing all of these bells and whistles for the agent in terms of CRMs and and uh, data and 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 uh, sales and, and closings and all of this data we, we, we do we send out. If you're not going to concentrate on what makes an agent tick and what they need in their market, um, you know it's going to be hard. I think people tend to move around much more. Um, which brand? Which brand are you referencing? Uh, it could be any brand. It could be, see the, the brands are so different. You know, you've got the Keller Williams and the, the XP brands, EXP, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't really deal with them in many of our markets, but you know, they have a, that's a certain mindset that has to have the 90 10 or the, or the uh, platform where they're getting money on everyone they recruit. That's a different type of agent. And, and so, in the luxury market, I think the agent has a different level of sophistication. So we we have great brands. I think Sotheby's is a great brand. I've always said that they they have a and I'm stealing this from a colleague, but they have a machine to print money, but they don't know how to turn it on. And um, because they've re- really never grown, uh, they've all they've always stayed the size they are. Uh, where Douglas Elliman, we've grown to be the second largest independent brand in the country, and there's a reason for that. Um, we we have a lot of people that are experienced as well as great agents that, you know, are, yes, it's great to have three or four sets of agents and teams on all of the networks now. It helps our brand, it helps them. But I think that the other ones, I mean, I think Corcoran is, it's a fabulous brand, um, obviously Element, and um, I think, it's interesting They're you so say that. are so politically
0: but, correct. I am,
1: but I believe in <laughs> beating it. Beating around I, the bush. I'm not, I mean, I would never, I don't, you know, unless you work for a brand, you can't really talk about it very well. I think um, it's hard though, you're right, it's hard. We're coming through a seismic change of how do we stay in business, some of the firms. I mean, we're fine, we're completely fine. We're, we knew how to get through this and we have a parent company that is, is there for us. But those that don't right now, I mean, this is, this is devastating. I mean, you have empty offices that may never be used again. You have agents that for the last, excuse me, 99 days have learned how to do their business without coming in. Um, You have retail that's suffering. You have people that don't want to touch a doorknob for the near future. Uh, So everything's changed. It's to, you know, we're starting over. So I think that um, coming out of this, The smaller firms will suffer the the peak,
0: I think. Do you think that um, having an office is important for salespeople to be successful?
1: I do, I do, yeah. I I think having somewhere, the office has changed now. I mean, the new offices now are very open and, and very collegial in terms of the way they're laid out where everyone sees each other and they, there's a lot of seating areas and comfort stations and kitchens and cappuccino and great wi-fi and um i think that's going to be that's definitely the future the you know the the 10,000 square foot office and these you know with with parking uh people are not you know those are gone we don't need those anymore we need to have something that will attract people will tra- attract other other um agents that we can recruit and sort of it it will be a a really a big difference soon and we're just experiencing that now we have 121 offices so we have a lot of work to do um because we won't need as much space everyone's talking about that that's the number one thing we talk about is what do we do with all this space
0: i have two questions on the expansion for you Mm -hmm. number one what are you doing to help douglas elliman from a strategy perspective get to number one and my follow-up question is from an expansion perspective is you had mentioned when you were at the corcoran group under barbara you helped open up multiple offices in multiple markets mm-hmm. how did you go about finding the leaders to run those 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 teams and groups what, yeah. what were you looking for what were the tactics to find them
1: well i'll answer the first, second one first Um, That particular period of time, we were fortunate that our parent company that had purchased Barbara's company, Mm -hmm. Sendan, had a big treasure trove of cash, and we acquired the firms. And that was the days of Bob Becker, who was a huge, huge um, presence in our industry. So we bought them. But what was most important about the ones we bought, which were Paulette Koch and McCann, Coiner Clark, Uh, that's in Palm Beach and then in the Hamptons it was uh, Alan Schneider and and Cook Pony Farm and Dayton Halstead we the ones we bought were very similar to our DNA so the actual roll-in was much easier and uh, we were very um, aware of how important their leadership was so we had the comfort level of taking our time because there weren't any other players then that were buying up companies real estate companies so we, we we were able to cherry pick everyone we needed and they had like i said all of our dna and they they had great leadership and yes once you do fold them in there's there are synergies there that um are that come into play 18 months after you close where you might not need so many leadership people and lots of times Most of the leadership that's coming in are the owners and they have an exit plan and they're gone. Like Barbara was gone in 18 months when she sold the Corcoran Group. So that they have an exit plan. And uh, so that it was really, it was easier to do than right now. So for now, in terms of growing, we're not looking for bricks and mortar. For instance, we just opened in Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard and Cape Cod and we don't have bricks and mortar in either of those. We have agents that are duly licensed in Florida, Massachusetts, and New York, and we have a couple of agents that spend the summers in the Vineyard or Nantucket or the Cape, and we're there. You don't have to sort of have a shingle out anymore on the street, um, because a lot of the great agents and the companies that support these luxury agents, you become the advisor to them, and they'll let you, they love you so much, they'll want you to sell their third, second, first, second, third, and fourth home, and they'll expect you to go around the country and provide those services. So that's what, that's how we grew our business. We followed our clients. So we're in Aspen, we're in Beverly Hills, we're in Houston, we're in Palm Beach, we're in Miami, New York, Brooklyn, Boston, Scarsdale, Greenwich, Connecticut. It's it's sort of like we we've got them covered for the first, second, and third home, mm-hmm. and. Um, so that's how we grow. And now the new growing plan is get, get licensed. We don't need you know a $10,000 a month store on Main Street. It's just a waste of money and people look at it now. The last thing you're going to do is walk into a real estate store these days because when people are out shopping, they're out for food or fashion or, or something they need. Um, they don't walk into the real estate stores anymore. They just don't. And everyone does that in the evening online. Or throughout the day, Scott. This this has
0: been this has been great. We're going to have to schedule another another interview. I've got some more questions about, you know, some of your greatest ahas from the struggles of M and A. Sure. And then like from a luxury perspective, like what are the mediums from a branding perspective to build the brand equity from the corporate perspective to help support the agents? So, I. Anyways, we're going to have to do this again, um, Scott. I really appreciate you being on CEO Secrets. Thank you um, you're, you yes. have a wealth a wealth of knowledge and it you it's it I can't believe I've never met you before I right, same um, here I can't uh, wait uh, to be back on yeah when when and then hopefully uh maybe we'll you know if they start doing conferences and conventions again we'll maybe we'll see each other in new york at inman in, uh, in january uh, but uh, yeah this has been great scott thank you so much for your time i'd love to come back thanks chris so okay. for everybody tuning into this episode you can always check this out on iTunes or on YouTube. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. We always have super impressive guests. I mean, these are people at the top of their game within their respective industry that have a vast amount of experience and knowledge. So as Damon John from Shark Tank says, uh, pioneers get slaughtered and settlers prosper. So let's, let's all learn from all of the people that have come before us and uh, build a strong foundation. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, everybody. Want more CEO secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.